as I was praying about our time together this morning, God gave me a verse from which we're going to start from. And it came, I'm going to be real honest because that's just, it's just who I am. So it came with this sense that I was going to need to really lean into the Holy Spirit as we go. Um, and God knows I would have preferred to have just written a few thousand words and then read them to you. But he did not give me that freedom. Um, and so I'm going to go with his leading on that. But before that, I just want to pray for the mums, if that's okay. Happy Mother's Day, Mama Bears. Happy Mother's Day. It is a good day to celebrate the mothers in our midst, those of you who are called hard job. But it is a high calling, and it is worth the time and investment that you give and you, you serve in that capacity. And it's not lost on me that today is also a really challenging day for many of you for a variety of different reasons. Um, I know that some of you come into Mother's Day experiencing loss and grief and hurt and pain. Some of you have lost babies. Um, I really feel for you because I've been there too. I didn't mean to cry, but I just... I'm a really sensitive and emotional person. This probably won't be the last time that I cry in front of you. Um, your mothering work matters. No matter whether you carried a baby for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, every life is precious. Very, very precious in the sight of God. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost adult children. Some of you have broken relationships with your own mother or with your own children. And I just want to encourage you this morning because... I was um, talking to God about motherhood recently, and I've often wondered what it would be like to mother a perfect child. We have four children. They are very beautiful. We have three boys and one girl, and none of them are perfect, despite what Patrick has told you about our little girl. <laughs> um, and I was like, what would it be like to have a perfect child? And God started talking to me about the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when Jesus came to earth and he took on human flesh, and he could have come in any way, shape, or form, but he humbled himself and he took on the form of a human and he came as a tiny, vulnerable baby who lived inside the womb of an earthly mother. That God so loves mothers, that God so designed that we would have mothers and fathers that he would be part of that process that he orchestrated for us. And Mary was highly favored and she was chosen by God. She was called by God. But we know from the stories that are recorded in the Bible for us that her mothering experience was also presented with a whole lot of challenges, even though she was the mother of the only perfect human who's ever existed. She was highly favored and chosen by God and yet she almost lost her future husband because she was pregnant out of wedlock by the Holy Spirit. She gave birth in a stable where the animals are, and it's not like some sweet home birth with a birthing pool and fairy lights, like it's the equivalent of a tin shed in your backyard, and it wasn't even a tin shed at that. We know that she had to flee as a refugee when Herod was trying to kill Jesus. We know that her and Joseph lose Jesus for a few days, which is just terrifying thought, not just lost sight of them at the playground or at the shops, several days. They did not have social media or telephones or contact the authorities to help them find him. He was gone for a few days. And we also know that in her mothering experience, she watched her son get crucified. And he had done nothing wrong to deserve that. 
He had not spoken one bad word or even had a bad thought, and yet she watched him die. And I want that to be an encouragement to you this morning, that whatever season of motherhood or life you find yourself in, where there are challenges that you didn't anticipate that you would be walking through, and there are hardships that you are going through, that God knows where you are, and it doesn't mean that you're in the wrong place, just because something is really hard for you this morning. And so if you're sitting next to a mom, will you just lay hands upon her, and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for all the moms, pray for all the women. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are the one who designed that we would have mothers and fathers. God, we thank you for the gift of mothers in our midst who love you, who seek you, who are praying mothers, and who love their children well. God, I thank you for the mothers who have carried children in their wombs. I thank you for the mothers who have adopted and fostered children into their family. And I thank you for the spiritual mothers who bring love and encouragement and speak life and hope in the times and seasons when we need it most. God, I pray your blessing to be upon every mother that is here, especially on any mother who is experiencing a measure of grief or hurt or wounding in their own heart. Lord, I pray you would meet them where they're at, that you would minister to their hearts, that you would give them hope and refreshment and joy, and you would give them strength and courage to continue to mother well. God, we bless the mothers in our midst this morning, and we thank you for them. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, well, I have come with some pieces of paper today, and Wendy said a few weeks ago that she was showing her age when she printed out pieces of paper. So it's good to know there's a few 32-year-olds in our midst this morning. Um, but we're going to start from Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6. And it says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we need to be a people who will lean in and both listen to and obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are a people who walk by faith and not by sight. We are a people who live in the wisdom and the ways that God has for us. And we are in a time of transition at the moment and we are entering into new seasons, a new era and new things that God has for us. And I would ask you this morning that as I'm talking, that you would be talking with God yourself about your heart and your life your walk and your experience at the moment of where you're placing your trust and how you are, have structured your life. Because the truth is, when you live by the Spirit, there are things that happen in your life that look counterintuitive to the way that the wisdom of the world would offer. And yet, they say, it is by far the safest place to be in the eye of the storm with Jesus in your boat than to be on the shore without him. And so the leading of the Holy Spirit doesn't always make sense especially in the natural world. But I believe that God is looking for a people who are so devoted to him, who are so in love with him, that we will say yes, Lord, to his ways, to his leading, to his guiding, to his voice, before we understand how it all works out. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So I think I have a really simple message for you this morning, but how many of you know that simple and easy are not synonymous terms? And so I hope that if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, your desire is to be led by the Spirit of God in everything that you do. But sometimes we put up other structures in our lives and in our worlds that we kind of cling to as a bit of false hope. 
and my prayer and my hope is that they would be dismantled. Um, and I just thought I'll, I'll quickly define simple and easy for us. Simple means that something is understood or done with ease, that it is uncomplicated in form, nature, or design, whereas easy means that it is achieved without great effort, presenting few difficulties and free from problems. Now, I don't know about your Christian walk, but I wouldn't say that mine's necessarily been easy, and yet the gospel message is so simple for everybody to understand. So I'm just going to draw out four things that I think God wants me to talk about, and we're going to talk about them, and we'll see where we go. So the first is, go with God's ideas, and go with God's definition of success, not humans. Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, and I think we have CSB on the screen, but I'm reading the NLT translation, because I like reading from different translations at time to time. So my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And it's really interesting that we live in a culture that places a lot of value on what we achieve. How many awards, how many accolades can you attain in your life to prove that you are doing something worthwhile and successful with your time? We want to be able to have something tangible to say, hey, this is what I've done. This is how you know that I'm successful. This is how you know that I'm making it, that I'm on track, that I'm doing the right thing. And none of it goes with us to heaven. No matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter how many job titles or how successful you are in a career, even a hobby, oh, I've hiked 15 mountains this year or something, none of that goes with you. So the question is, well, what do we do with our lives and how do we, how do we show something for it? And what we are doing is we are chasing this proverbial carrot that's dangling in front of us. If we could just get a hold of that, if we could just attain that next level of achievement, then we would feel like we are on track and doing the right thing. And the focus is on can you get it and not on who you are and who are you becoming in that process. And what I think it boils down to is an illusion that we get to be in control. And it's illusion, an illusion that once we figure it out, then we'll be on track and we're going to have peace and we'll be sorted and that's that. And I love this quote that Dallas Willard says when he said, God is not so concerned with what we do, but with who we become. And I want to encourage you to be intentional about seeking God for his ideas about your life and what he would say is the measure and value of success. Because not all good ideas are God ideas. And there are times and seasons that God gives us things to do. So I want to encourage you to ask God what the ideas are. And it has been my experience and what I have seen through what I've read in the Word is that any time that we recognize that we are off course, even just a little bit, and if we course correct and we turn our hearts back to Him and we repent of those things and we lean into Him, it's that any measure of faithfulness that we show towards God, He will extend back to us in a greater measure than we could ever imagine. And so he's good, and we do well when we go with his ideas and not our own. The second thing I want to highlight is we want to be a people that when we follow the Holy Spirit, God will illuminate the path forward, and we keep in step with the times and seasons that God has for us. I don't know about you, but I'm really bad at checking the weather. And I have said on a number of occasions, oh, I had no idea it was going to be so cold today. I did not dress appropriately for this. 
And it's really easy to be out of sync with what the right seasons are. I don't want to get off an aeroplane somewhere else and discover that I've come in my summer clothes when really it's winter. And I don't mean a Queensland winter, I mean a proper winter with snow and you need a snow jacket. And Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 to 8 says, There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then verse 11, he says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. And I want to share with you a vision that God gave me when I was praying through some things in my life, because they say a picture speaks a thousand words. And if I could have turned this into a little movie reel for you, I would have, but I don't have those skills. So I'm going to do my best to explain it for you. But the picture that God gave me was I was standing in a hallway and I'm on, on my way to a doorway that's at the very end of the hallway. The doorway is open and there's this beautiful bright light coming through it and that's where I'm headed. And the only way to get to that door is to walk down the hall. This hallway is just like a small, ordinary hallway that you'd have in a brick home. You put your arms out either side, you can touch both of the walls. And as I start walking down the hallway, the flooring beneath me, which is firm and secure, turns into sand. And you know when you walk on sand and it's soft, you kind of slip and slide a little bit as the thousands, hundreds of thousands of granules of sand start to move under your foot. And so my progress down this hallway is hampered slightly because I am walking on sand that I didn't expect to be walking on. And then all of a sudden, the floor drops out from underneath me and I have nothing there. And my instinct is to put my hands on the wall and put my feet up and I'm like Spider-Man, so that's kind of cool. Spider-Man, I'm holding on for dear life so I don't fall out the bottom. And I'm catching my breath and I'm waiting going, okay, I still want to get to the doorway but there is no floor underneath me. I guess I'm going to have to shimmy my way along the walls or something. And I hear God say to me, Anna, what are you doing? And I don't know if you've ever said something to someone and they almost instinctually, without recognizing it, roll their eyes, but with their whole bodies as well. That was kind of the response that I gave to God. It was not the best attitude. I was like, what do you mean? What am I doing? And he says again, Anna, what are you doing? I was like, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm holding on for dear life so I don't fall out at the bottom of the floor into an abyss. Still had a bad attitude. And he very graciously says to me again, and I can tell there's this beautiful smile in his voice. He says, Anna, what are you doing? Look up at me. And I kind of had this big sigh, and I'm like, fine. And as I lift my eyes up in this vision, I see a helicopter come into view. And out of the helicopter is a beam spotlight. And as I follow the spotlight, what it highlights in front of me is that there is one smooth round stone that is just ahead of me that I could be standing on instead of holding on to the walls 
And in a moment, I get this flash and this picture that there are multiple of these stones that are leading down the hallway towards the door, but they're not in a linear line, and I will need the the guiding of the spotlight in order to be able to get there, in, in order to be able to make it to the doorway at the end. And God says, why are you holding on to a man-made structure on these walls that in a matter of time are going to disintegrate just like the floor fell out of you? He said, I am your anchor point. Stand on the stones, look at me, and I'll show you the way forward. So then I had to repent, and, um, and I was so gracious that, that God showed me that he always has a path forward even when we don't know what it is. Did not make logic, logical sense to me as to why there would be stepping stones in the middle of this hallway. But when the floor disappeared, that was the path that God gave me. And I knew that that was the path only up until the doorway. And once I entered the doorway, there would be something new after then. And Psalm 25 verse 4 says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. And then Proverbs 3 verses 1 to 7 says, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart Keep my commands, for they will bring you many days, a full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. And don't be wise in your own eyes. And I love that Melissa Helser had this quote, and she said, your neediness of the Lord is your honor and not your shame. And we've been so conditioned to being really good at being independent, that we've got it all together, that we can make it on our own, that we can do it in our own strength, essentially, when really the best thing that we can be doing is turning our hearts to the Lord and leaning on him for every step of the way because I probably could have made it eventually to the end of my hallway like Spider-Man, but I do not have very good upper body strength. It would have taken me a lot of time and effort. Or I could have looked at God and gone one step at a time as he led, which was much safer and much more secure and would have got me to the end destination. And I love the story of Mary and Martha when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and Martha gets a bad rap, but I think I'm like Martha a lot of the times too, being like, well, come on, like we've got to do stuff. There's plenty of things that need doing. I'm a mom of four little kids. I know there are things that need doing all of the time. It's very present the moment you walk in my front door and there's 5,000 shoes that are lying on the floor. And Jesus says to Mary, he says, she has chosen the better portion. And we would do well if we were like Mary and we sat at the feet of Jesus And we waited upon him for his leading and his guiding to give us the way forward for what we're doing. And being led by the Spirit is not equated to being lazy or just doing nothing. I'm sure that in a room this size, there's probably some of you who would do well to, I'm not looking at anybody in particular, who would do well to work really hard and maybe harder than you're currently working. But sometimes we need to slow down so that we can hear the voice of God And we can keep in step with the ways that God has for us. If we keep in step with the times and seasons that God has for us, then we will steward well the gifts and abilities and the talents that God has given us too. And Jesus is our only anchor point. We should not assume that we know what's going to happen. We know that we are coming into new things. And by very nature of the fact that we're doing something new, 
it means it's not going to be what was before. It's going to be something different. And so it's okay to check everything with God, and we should be checking with him as we go. The third thing I want to talk about is that we do not have to understand what God is doing, but we do need to be a people who obey him anyway. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 says, Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. And a few years ago, I was driving to work in the evening. It was on dusk, and so the light was fading. And it was pouring with rain, and as I was driving, the rain got heavier and heavier and heavier. So you could barely see the end of the car, like the bonnet of the car, let alone a car in front of you. And I needed to make a right-hand turn. It was two lanes. So I was in the right-hand lane, and I felt God say all of a sudden, change lanes. So I changed lanes, and within a matter of seconds, in the lane that I was in was a four-car pileup that I would have undoubtedly been the fifth car in if I had not changed lanes. And I was like, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving me a heads up. And then I was grateful that I had learnt the lesson up to that point to be obedient. I have my mom's voice in my ear saying, Anna, delayed obedience is disobedience. And if I had delayed my obedience to God in that instance, the outcome would have been catastrophic. Now, it's not always catastrophic, but in that instance, it would have been. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 6, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And I don't think we necessarily like to think of it like this, but I think that sometimes we are too easily offended by things that Jesus asks us to do because it's not what we would have chosen to do. And so it rubs against the grain of what we think would be the right way. But Jesus says, blessed are you when you are not offended by me. And when we look through story after story in the Bible, we see a whole host of things that God asked people to do that didn't make sense. Noah, go and build a boat. And from the time that Noah began building a boat to when the rain actually fell was a really long time, and I'm sure it felt a whole lot longer because people had a lot of things to say to him in that process. They criticized him. They said all manner of things like, you are crazy. What are you doing? Did you really hear God? Is that really what God said to you? But he heard the voice of God and he obeyed. And because of his obedience, Noah and his whole family were saved when the entire earth was wiped out. Or Rahab was told to put a red or scarlet cord out of her window so that when the walls of Jericho came down, her and her family would be saved. Now, my instinct, if I think someone's coming to take over my city, is not to throw a rope out the window and hope that my building stays up. I'm going to be trying to fortify that in some way, shape, or form. But the mark of obedience was to put that out, and God blessed that and saved her family, and she's now recorded in the history of the Bible. Or in the New Testament, where we see that Peter has been out fishing all night long, and he hasn't caught a single fish, and he's tired, and he's exhausted, and he's drained, and he's discouraged, and Jesus comes along, and he says, Peter, throw out your net one more time. And Peter's like, really, Jesus? I have been doing that, and it got me nowhere. He says, throw out your net. And when Peter obeys, he catches so many fish that his boat can't contain it. And so sometimes God asks us to do something that looks really different and countercultural, like it did for Noah, and it seems crazy. And sometimes you've been doing something that is a good thing. It's not a bad thing that Peter was fishing. He was working hard, but it had not been productive. And sometimes Jesus says, do it one more time. And you're like, oh, I don't want to. 
I don't feel like it. It didn't produce anything the last however many times I tried to do it. But one word out of the mouth of God changes everything. And so Peter's obedience to Jesus in that moment was what produced fruit. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. Now, I just want to clarify that I'm not saying don't use the brain that God has given you or don't use your analytical and critical thinking skills or forget about the wisdom that God has taught you in your history with God. But I am saying don't wait until you have all of the pieces lined up before you step out in faith and obedience to what God is asking you to do. And sometimes it does look really wild, really wild. A few years ago, my husband and I were both working full-time for a church, and overnight, God asked us to resign. And at the time, I was 29 weeks pregnant with our third baby, and we did not have any plan on what we were doing next. We did not have six months' worth of saving to be like, oh, we'll just live off our savings for a while and see what happens. We did not have any other jobs to go to. I was obviously about to give birth very soon, but... When we did that, God met all of our needs in ways that only God can meet them. Grace House started after that, and it was, I think, about five months until Patrick was technically an employee again. And in that five months, we did not miss a single bill, we did not miss a single payment on anything, and we had more than enough for everything that we needed during that season. And I didn't know sometimes how we were going to afford the expenses, to the point that I'd be like, okay, this is how much money is in my bank account and I need to go put fuel in the car. I was like, well, I guess I'll just put 20 bucks in and we'll see, we'll see how we go. And I would drive to the petrol station, it was you know, three minutes away and I felt God say, check your account again. And there was money in the account that had been deposited that I could buy a full tank of fuel. Or it happened in the grocery store. I was like, I'll just pick up a few bits and pieces and I get to the third aisle and I feel God say, check your bank account again. And money had just appeared. That God had put it on people's hearts to be a blessing to us in that season, in that very moment that I needed to buy something very practical for my family, and I bought a full load of groceries. So God works in mysterious and interesting ways, and ways that we don't always understand. And if you feel discouraged, take encouragement from Philippians 2.13 that says, God is working in you. So if you have trusted in Jesus, and if you're living for him and for his ways, it says he is working in you giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Romans 11, verses 33 to 34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We don't know the ways that God works and that's okay. We cannot trace the ways that God's thoughts go, and that's okay. But he is always true to his character, and he is always true to every word that he has spoken, and he never breaks any promise that he has ever made to you just because the outcome doesn't happen in the ways that you expect that it will. That's okay. If we surrender to him and we obey, then that's all that we can do. It's our job to say, yes, Lord, and be obedient, and we leave the outcome of our obedience in his hands. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is that it is God's delight to lead and guide his children and to reward them with his presence. 
I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. And I love that we have so many stories recorded for us about how God has worked. And time after time after time, God comes through for his people, but yet we don't have a formula for how he works. We see what he did in the stories of old in the Old Testament, and we see what he did for people in the New Testament. But we cannot take that and be like, all right, cool, I've got it. I'm going to package it this particular way and then run with that. Because I think then we would be tempted to push God out of the mix altogether and do it in our own strength. Proverbs 25 verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search them out. And God may be mysterious, and the ways that the Holy Spirit works may be uh, unfamiliar to us, but he is not distant, and he is not far away. He's not sitting off in a corner somewhere, judging us, criticizing us when we mess up or make a mistake. It is his delight to lead his people. If you look at the Israelites, he gave them a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night, a very tangible expression of him being close at hand. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It doesn't say that when you turn your heart towards God and you draw near to him, maybe he'll show up. He might show up. It says he will. You might not be expecting the ways in which he shows up for you, but he always comes through. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And my time of need is all the time. I never have a time where I don't need the Lord and I don't need his wisdom and guidance and leading. And Isaiah 54 verse 10 says, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God knows your weakness. He knows where you struggle. He knows the things that go on in your head. He knows the heartache and the seasons that you have walked through, and he still has compassion and love towards you. He doesn't hold a grudge against you. He isn't angry at you. He isn't trying to get you in trouble. And even if every mountain did depart and every hill was removed, the love of our Lord would still be there for you, pursuing you and chasing you through every season of your life. And the presence of God is the most beautiful gift that we can have, God himself. He gives an abundance of blessings in a whole variety of different ways to each of us. And sometimes we forget what those blessings are, but by far, the biggest blessing that I have in my life is that I get to be with him, that I get to have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who created the heavens and the earth, be with me in my every day, in every task that I undertake. And I think that's really beautiful that the example we have from Jesus is that even Jesus, when he was on earth, was led by the Spirit. He could have called a legions, legions of angels to come and help him, to come and rescue him, to come and do things differently. He could have come with pomp and fanfare. He could have come with flags and horses and cavalry and castles, but he didn't. He was led by the Spirit in everything that we did, and he was lived in humility. 
And I've been a Christian my whole life, and I feel like there is so much more to discover in the mysteries of God, that it will take an entire lifetime, and I will barely scratch the surface of knowing who God is and of knowing what he's about and what he's doing for me. And the truth is that the more that I find him, the more that I love him, and the more that I want more and more and more of who he is. I might ask the music team to come back if that's all right, please, and thank you. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. And it has been my experience that once you've tasted the Lord and you've tasted his goodness, you have an appetite for more of him. And nothing else can satiate or satisfy that except for more of God. And I find myself often echoing the words of Moses when Moses says, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't make me move from this place because there is nothing more beautiful than God himself. Actually, I'll read what it says in Exodus 33. Exodus 33 verses 11 to 15 says, The Lord would speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friend and then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I might find, might, may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. And so just as I'm closing out this morning, I want to read Isaiah 61 over you. I'm going to read the entire chapter, if that's okay. If it's okay, because I've got the microphone, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but I want to encourage you just as we close out our time together that you would just take your heart and your life before the Lord and say, God, am I propping up my life with things that aren't from you? Am I doing things in my own strength? Are there things that I am leaning on that are not from you? And if they are, I really want to encourage you to be quick to repent of those things and ask God to lead you in the truth. And if there are circumstances and situations in your life that you don't quite know what the way forward is, the God that we serve is a God of solutions. And it doesn't matter what challenge you're facing, He always has an answer, but it might not be what you're expecting. So I want to encourage you to seek the God of all creation for your answers and for the way forward, and he will be delighted to lead and to guide you. So if you're able, will you stand? And I'm going to read Isaiah 61. If you want to, you can close your eyes or you can look at it on the screen, but just position your heart to receive these words over you. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes festive oil instead of mourning and splendid clothes instead of despair and they will be called righteous trees 
planted by the Lord to glorify Him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you will be called the Lord's priests. They will speak of you as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations and you will boast in their riches. In place of your shame, you will have a double portion. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. So they will possess double in their land and eternal joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their posterity among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. As a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth produces its growth, And as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will call righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. God, we thank you that you are our very present help in time of need, and our time of need is all of the time. We thank you that you see us, you see our lives, you see the things that we are going through. You know we are weak and where we are frail. You know where we have propped ourselves up with things that you didn't intend to support us. And I thank you that you are strong enough, that you are big enough, that you are mighty enough to be all that we ever need. So God, I pray that we would be a people who are devoted to you, who are quick to say yes, Lord, and quick to be obedient to your ways and to your leading to your guiding and to your voice, that we would linger in your presence as Joshua did and that we would not try and run ahead of your spirit and we would not lag behind looking at the things that have been, but that we would be a people who keep in step with you. And we thank you for what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name.